games you deserve. Welcome to Games You Deserve, brought to you by Special Reserve Games. This week on the show, Eric takes us through the history of physical video game media, Smitty tours with rock stars in South America, and Mother Russia Bleeds comes to the Special Reserve. You know, I was I was looking at some really old, cool video game stuff, as as I may do every once in a while. You know, everybody's familiar with Pong, right? You know Pong. Sure. Paddle P-O-N-G. goes up and down. Pong, yeah. You know, everybody knows that. And, and that's definitely one of the oldest, you know, video games. It's not the oldest. The, Pong is like the, what casual people think of as the oldest video game. And then, like, you talk to video game people and and a lot of them remember something like space war right space war was was written in code on a, a punch tape i mean i know you know what punch tape and punch cards are even that's though i'm right under my desk and that's how you got online today is you fed them into your mainframe <laughs> <laughs> no no i have 10 more aol free 500 minute discs left thank you very much trying and to burn those up yeah it's still <laughs> They're Hello. all leftovers from 1993. So. Yes, I, I got them from the uh, 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 yeah from a Dallas, Texas office. Uh, yes, it was so, amazing. Broadcast.com. You ever heard of it? <laughs> I, I I only use CompuServe, um, but the 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 mainframe worked a little bit differently. They actually had microprocessing available that could take your input and dynamically do some things with it. So it was a little bit different, but of course those mainframes took up a, a, a warehouse, a room, you know, they were huge. They were massive. It's not something you're going to be able to take home. Pong, you could still, you know, they could shrink that down. You could take it home. You know, it was, it was, it was done a different way around 1975 in Japan. There was a game that was called Western Gun, and it used transistor logic the same way that Pong did. But when they were coming over uh, to the U.S. with the game, they decided to make the same game but using microprocessors and chips. So it's called Gunfight here in the United States. Space Invaders comes out in 1978. I mean, everybody Woo! knows Space Invaders. It's here for Space Invaders. Wow, that's going to... That's going to take out my eardrum. Oh, you're so sensitive. <laughs> I know, I know. And then I started thinking about the next step, and I know you remember this fondly, storing games on cassette tape, magnetic tape. <laughs> yes. Uh, Commodore 64 was that? That was one of a few that did that. Yeah, Commodore yeah. 64 is probably the most prolific for home use. They were that ugly, like weird manila colored plastic or there's like off, off white. Oh yeah. <laughs> and you used to have like a sheet of paper, right? Because you wrote down, this game was at this time yeah. on the tape, right? Yeah. Fast forward through it, yeah. Yeah, and and if your tape was if your counter on your tape player was not set to zero at the beginning of the tape, that's we 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 all would hit that little button that sticked out to re zero the three z and there's only three zeros of course you know absolutely yeah, yeah. so you'd have to line it up and then like you'd fast yep. forward until you were just before where where it started yep. t- type in your load command and then hit enter and it would seek. To the beginning of that next that's, game. That's the year that pterodactyls disappeared from the face of the earth as it well. It feels like it. It yeah. feels like yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in that same era, we went from cassette, magnetic cassette tape, which was nice but cheap, um, and had floppy disks. You speak for yourself. You can now insert yes, your floppy disk. 
this is where things got difficult, though, when we talk about preservation, because, Smitty, how how were games distributed on floppy disk? Did they come in nice, fancy boxes originally with lots of cool stuff? Or Oh, yes. Yes. I used to venture in Enid, Oklahoma. I used to go uh, venture down to... Uh, well, the Willow Shopping Center is a little strip mall, and there was a place that fixed computers and whatnot. The same place that fixed my 5200 buttons, <laughs> and they had a pegboard, a cork, a cork pegboard with Ziploc baggies yeah. with a floppy in them and a handwritten <laughs> logo and like some kind of notes. And then the fancier developers would actually print off like a black and white pictures something that they made like put it in the front of the ziploc bag and then those were stuck with thumbtacks to yep. the cork board that's how i used to buy or that's how i saw them distributed. that's how everybody used to buy them back then they didn't <laughs> they didn't stick them in a nice box with artwork and shit they didn't have money for that or means for that you know they made them one at a time at their house but that's that was that was the coolest thing back in the floppy days though because you'd walk up and you'd be like looking at these things and you're you're forced to either like look at those crude pictures and decide or read the titles and kind of go, or if you were really lucky, the dude that worked there exactly. knew exactly. some shit about it, right? right? Exactly. He like knew. Eric, Eric would talk to you and he would be like, hey, I like that. And it's just like this or that. And then you had a right. moment to say, I like, you know, gun wars. And he's like, it's just like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then you, it was all word of mouth. You'd pull that off of there and you'd pay your, you know, your 10 bucks. word and, of mouth, though. I mean, that yeah. is the most organic guerrilla marketing you could ever achieve right there. Yeah. Now, this is really in the era before video games were mainstream. Like, this is like pre- oh. Atari. Totally. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's it's still even into like the mid eighties. Yeah. was still yeah, like well, this. We're, we're, but this is like computers were not as as big. Like the Macintosh hadn't come around yet, or had just even came the out. Apple II E didn't really take yeah. off at a yeah. at a house. Like it took off yeah. in schools and academia. Yeah. I remember every... having Apple II E in my class, and we would play games on there. Right, and it was in the library, and that's what. It, but rarely did you see an Apple II E in someone's. My cousin Brett had an Apple II E at home. The founder. Of, of you know of, of a game company, but uh, that's the only guy in my whole life I ever saw an Apple II in there. And, and they were not cheap. They at the time no. they were not cheap. No. So and there was no internet. Hello, I mean in 1976, the Fairchild Channel F comes out, and that actually was the first home console to have cartridges with their own circuits on them that contained the game. Uh, had their own actual uh, chips uh, on them. Uh, and of course, a year after that, Atari comes out with a VCS, the 2600, and just blows it up and becomes cartridge time. Everybody knows those, you know, everybody had a Nintendo or an Atari or something that did cartridges after that. And then of course, what was next? What What comes out after cartridges optical discs right sega cd is the earliest time i remember playing i know i wasn't a computer guy i didn't have a computer but as far as a console go i my friend had a sega cd and that was the first time i remember playing video games on a cd system like that but you know that blew me away you know that optical discs were like invented in the late 60s and actually put into use in the 70s i did not know that yeah, they, they've been around for a lot longer than their, their practical use. But, but you know, of course, they were super cheap to make compared to the cartridges. And you could store really? more data. Yeah, oh, yeah. And you could store more data on them, too. So, and, they, and they were supposedly less destructible, you know. Which, um, which is now turned which, out to be not so true. Not even right? yeah, close. They get scratched up like close. crazy, yeah. man. Yeah, I do yeah. want to say, though, uh, and I, I dug this up. I actually had to do the research on this because I wanted to figure this out. The first computer game i'm gonna blow your minds twice the in different ways the the first computer game on the macintosh not the pc the pc actually didn't have the first computer game the macintosh had the first computer game on a cd it was called the manhole oh i thought it was called terminal velocity god the manhole (laughs) that sounds like we're in the wrong podcast i know right i know that was 1989 but that was not the first game on cd the first game on cd actually came out a year earlier than that in 1988 and that was on pc engine which in the united states is known as the turbo graphic 16. the turbo cd had fighting street and Fighting Street. Fighting was, Street. 
Fighting Street was a name used to avoid a a copyright clash with Street what? Fighter. No, no kidding. What? So the first the first game, I'm not even joking, the first game on CD ever was a was rip a rip of yeah. Street Fighter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, was it the same was it pretty much the same game? Was it, it the exact the same idea? It is the exact same game as the first Street Fighter game. Okay. But dude, does that not define the video game business? Right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the first game out was a hack, you know, it somebody else. It's uh, Fighting it's Street. So, you know, we talk about this and, and you look back and you think about what we do, right? We, we're preserving all of this physical, you know, these games <laughs> and physical media. Let's bring back Fighting Street. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Next release. So, you know, it's easy to it's easy to go back and capture discs and cartridges and stuff. And it's easy even to go and like hunt down an Odyssey or a Pong machine, that type of thing. I mean, they're still out there. You can still find them. You can still collect them. It's a lot more difficult in some of the cases when we talk about some of the floppy disk stuff or the cassettes, right? Because they didn't come in a box. They were stored, you know, tucked away. And then you asked me what I did with mine. I checked those things years ago. Yeah. I I do regret doing that. Of course. They were, you know, eventually you're like, I don't want to move this box too. Ah, And and we weren't thinking about (laughs) preservation back then, man. We were just enjoying the games. Well, and honestly, A lot of it we were told was trash. It was oh, yeah. blah blah blah. It could be reused and re. I mean, not not to you know talk about tapes, but I mean just talk about VHS tapes. You know, where oh, yeah, the, just right over the thing when you're done, you don't want that anymore. I had a question about um, the, the disc versus cartridge thing because we saw in the '90s really everything went discs, and we had the PlayStation, we had the Sega Saturn, we had the Dreamcast, um, all CD based, and even the the GameCube. Now there was the N64, mm-hmm. which was still cartridge cartridge base and maybe i don't know if you're going to cover this in your documentary eric but um i remember at the time my friend getting an n64 and the big selling point was there's no load times it's awesome i can just plug it in and play and there's no oh, yeah. like that was that was a big selling feature for the cartridge but i was like why are they still using cartridges i was thought that was so weird that they made that choice to to use a cartridge at that time well ultimately the partnership that uh, Nintendo had with Sony had failed dramatically. That's why we ended up seeing recently that that uh, Nintendo PlayStation, the one that they had in partnership, that prototype that sold for a butt ton of money. But you know, they they left off of that and went to Philips and worked with Philips on a partnership. And and ultimately, that's how Philips ended up working on the CDI. And they had a couple of really terrible zelda games on that thing um, that's right yes I and and, and i think hotel mario might even be on that or, or some mario. mario yeah it's oh it's it's it, there's a couple of really <laughs> bad mario games on that thing too but wow. but yeah they they stuck to their guns with this cartridge uh thing going into the 64 and and in in one way it, it kind of killed them but in another way yes you're right there were some serious advantages to doing that Expense, however, was something that that hurt them. Uh, cartridges were more expensive than the discs to make. They could, you could press discs way easier, way faster, and way cheaper. But cartridges took chips and, that, and plastics and yeah. all kinds of stuff to to put together. At the same time, you know, uh, yeah, easy load um, and and fast. You didn't have to wait for level level one and then wait for level two and that type yeah. of thing. That was in those early days. That was really a bad aspect of that. Now they also, then they went to those weird little discs of the GameCube. What was it with yeah. that? Well, it's just a, you know, another attempt by them to both trim cost and uh, apply some copy protection to that. Right. Because the, the whole bay for the GameCube was small. And so you, you physically couldn't stick an entire full size disc in there. Eventually, they came out with burnable mini DVDs, too. So you could go and burn one and, you know, with the right tools, stick that in your your GameCube and go. Plus, uh, in Japan, they had something called the Panasonic Q, which is basically a a GameCube that's a little fancy, plays DVDs, and it accepts full-size discs. So people started looking at that as, oh, can we use that to, to do some stuff? But, yeah, Nintendo just has, like, this weird relationship with 
copy protection and 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 pirating and that type of thing and and some of that they're trying to protect their their games from being pirated basically and, and i understand that i yeah. I, I get that but you know it's a cat and mouse game so but well now they have these little tiny little chip little cards for the switch right that's a whole different thing is that a cartridge or what is that is it another version of the cartridge it's a a cartridge uh, ultimately it's a circuit board with some you know with a chip on there with data on it but you know i I just i was looking at this from the idea of this preservation we talk about how much we want to you know, preserve as collectors. And, and even what we do when we talk about special reserve, you know, we, we put together a a nice package, a package that's tactile that you can, you can feel and you can touch and you can experience something. Right. And, you know, I'm sitting here staring at at some of the the boxes that we've made. and, And I think of the experience of when it finally arrives and I'm able to open that up. And it's something that I get to do one time, for each of those, but I can keep kind of reliving that by sticking it up here and looking at it. And it reminds me a lot of what it was like when I was young and I would, you know, I'd get that game and we'd, I'd go to the mall with, with my dad and be like, all right, son, you get to pick one game today, you know, choose, choose wisely. And I'm standing in front of a wall of, of games. What do I pick? You know, do I, do I get the thing that I've never seen before? Do I get the thing that my friend told me, you know, do I get the thing that's on the sign out, out front, you know, this brand new one, what do I get? And then you take it home and, you know, you're ripping open the plastic and ripping open the box and getting through that manual on your way home. And, you know, you're, yeah, all that, all that, all that feeling though, that, that whole, that whole experience. And, you know, that preservation of that and that it's not, we're not just preserving the code on a piece of media. We're preserving the experience. We're preserving the feeling. If this goes away, if this dies, right? This idea of being able to take home your media like that. And we talk about what's coming in beyond, right? What happened? How do you get a game on your phone? How do you get a game on your PC nowadays? And how do you get a game on console? A lot of the times you download it. What's that experience like? The the onset of digital downloads and SSDs instead of a disc, you know, I mean, amazing. Loading times, blah, 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 damage. Sure. Uh, you don't have to carry around a, a small zipper bag of games, whatever. Uh, get it. But, you know, it all goes back to that one thing I always, uh, that one of my vendors said, right? And he said, uh, we were trying to just talk about what we're doing at special reserve by uh, building these re- these special physical versions of these great digital games and we say it that way because it it, it, it that's it, it is that way now it didn't always used to be that way but he always he said um, yeah i kind of talk to people about printing and the value of a tangible asset in your hand and they always say well what's that worth and he says well let me, i could just have a digital download of it anyway what's the deal and he goes well tell me how much the mona lisa costs uh, you know, how much does a JPEG of the Mona Lisa, how much is it valued at? What's it worth? Yeah. Nothing, you know, but what's the Mona Lisa worth? That's the difference. You know, the picture of the Mona Very Lisa much. is worth nothing, but the actual Mona Lisa is priceless. You know, it's invaluable. It's one of a kind. So it's not like, you know, oh, that's what we're making with these games, but kind of, you know, because the each one of the games that are being made are these developers Mona Lisa's? You know, I've said this before in a previous episode, I'm sure I talk about it all the time, that this may be the only time that this one particular set of people, this one particular individual, the time is right, whatever, would even get to make this one particular game that is a, quote, Mona Lisa of video games, or it's just a great game. It doesn't matter. It's just a great game. Something that most people never in a million years would even get the opportunity nor have the skill set to start and finish a game. This episode brought to you by Fetch. Give the gift of play. Fetch is a game for dogs. What is it? It's a ball. We have large and small, depending on your dog's preference or maybe their physical size. If you buy a game of Fetch for $20, and that includes free shipping in the United States, we at Special Reserve will match that ball, giving one to another dog, a dog that's in need. We work with an organization called Street Dog Project here in Dallas, Texas. So every single time someone buys a game of fetch for $20, you get a ball and a dog that's homeless, 
entire physical need that's being fostered and sheltered also gets a ball. Why not give a game and fetch today? Go to specialreservegames.com, buy a game and fetch or two for your dog, and share the gift of play. It's story time with Smitty. Dan, it's just you and me. You, I don't think you've heard all these stories. Eric's heard all these stories at least eight times. That's why he, he he's, <laughs> he's going on AFK here. <laughs> well, my my first girlfriend in second grade was named Susie Uh-oh. Thompson. Oh, oh, wrong story, right? No. Well, I don't know, Dan. We've talked a little bit about a few things. Uh, you know, do you want to hear stuff about uh, games or rock and roll or just personal? <laughs> no, no. When I do it that. they're all a little bit personal, I would assume. But I remember you in passing at one time telling me that you had taken a trip to South America mm. for some reason. And that sounded intriguing to me. So let's hear about mm. the uh, South America story. I did take a trip to South America. Uh, specifically, we landed in Asuncion, Paraguay. I visited Buenos Aires. Uh, when was this? This was 2012. Uh, yeah, 2012. The year the it, world was supposed to end. Yeah, that? oh, yeah, that's right. right there. <laughs> uh, two years previous, in 2010, I had the H1N1 swine flu. So, you know, oh, these shit. are the things that I remember. <laughs> well, yeah. it was weird because to go on this tour, I was on a, a concert tour and I had a, a partner on that tour, a guy named Matt Sorum. Uh, who was the drummer from Guns N' Roses, Velvet Revolver. He drummed for the cult. And, man, Matt Sorum is just one of the nicest, uh, most sweetheart dudes I've ever met in my life. It's hard to believe he's in the rock and roll business because he's such a nice guy. That's why he's and still actually, alive. Yeah, it, well, he's got so, uh, something, just starting this off, he's, uh, Matt has something called Adopt the Arts out there. Uh, and just uh, without going into it, look up Adopt the Arts, uh, specifically in California. But uh, he's got a great organization goes that uh, helps uh, arts in public schools. But uh, so Matt had uh, a band that he was, uh, you know, it was kind of like a corporate band where they had kind of some all-stars uh, that would play all the time time and uh, so he had steve stevens who was billy idol's guitarist and also played with michael jackson and uh, wrote a record with michael jackson and of course he had duff and duff mckagan and gilby clark and uh, from gnr and he had some just amazing friends right i mean he introduced me to some of the greatest rock stars i've ever that well the guys i grew up listening to so anyway, there was an opportunity for me to be a part of a concert tour that went to South America. It was supposed to be about a 21-day tour. We were going to hit several countries. And each uh, night was about two and a half, three hours long. And, uh, and what it was supposed to be was one band that was an all-star band that played all the greatest tunes, uh, you know, from the 70s, 80s, 90s, but it was played by the people who wrote them, sung by the people who sung them. And so on that tour was Gene Simmons, Joe Elliott from Def Leppard, Glenn Hughes from Deep Purple. Uh, and we had also uh, Mike Inez on bass from Alice in Chains, Billy Duffy on guitar, Steve Stevens on guitar, Gilby Clark on guitar, Duff McKagan also on bass. Uh, then, you know, and we had this amazing band, right? I mean, one of the greatest bands you could ever imagine. And then you've got Gene Simmons out singing Kiss songs. You got Joe Elliott singing. We had to actually kind of beg him to sing Def Leppard songs because he really wanted to sing Mop the Hoople and Bowie. <laughs> That's all okay. he wanted to sing. If you make your life, you play those songs all the time. You can't imagine how many times he must have played those songs, right? Well, yeah. How many times do you think he has played Pour Some Sugar on Me? Right. How yeah. many times? Now, Joe told me some crazy stories. <laughs> Uh, about the times that uh, Pour Some Sugar on Me was a uh, top 10 and my, 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 rock star. And uh, so, boy, if you grew up on it, watching MTV and seeing those live videos, especially uh, the Def Leppard videos, 
everything was true. I'm just going to tell you all your fantasies and dreams about what was happening. It was all absolutely true. But so we had this great tour. We had a private charter jet. It seated 64 people, <laughs> just a mere 64 people. We had the Gene Simmons Family Jewels road crew and film crew with us, which was 11 people. And then everybody in the band had their you know, wife or significant other uh, with them. There weren't kids or anything. We had a couple tour managers. I had a couple Navy SEALs. And uh, that was our internal security. Why, why did you have Navy SEALs? Well, they were ex-Navy SEALs. Uh, they weren't active duty. Uh, and there's uh, a lot of Navy SEALs that when... I mean, they are the elites, you know, They and they are a brotherhood like you wouldn't believe, and they deserve all the respect you could ever give them. And um, they stick together. And so after, I guess, the, you know, they serve, a lot of them do uh, go and serve different kinds of security details. Some okay. of them, you know, I mean, you've heard of companies like Blackwater and things like that. that yeah. It got a bad name, but they, you know, for the wrong reasons in a lot of ways. But, that you know, people don't realize there's a lot of bad, bad people in this world and a lot of bad, bad things happen in this world. And I guarantee you there's a lot of good, good people and a lot of kind of good, bad people that protect you. You know, like you, you, it's just like that you, you can't handle the truth. You know, you judge me, right, you know, I right. sit on the wall and my, that man, there's a lot of truth to that. Cause I saw it firsthand. I'll tell you that the guys that took care of me and took care of all of us and actually saved my life and saved many of our lives on that tour, literally, uh, were, were guys that, you know, they had methods that if you were going to judge them on paper, you know, these would appear Mm, hardcore you know you'd be like ah is that a good guy or is that a bad guy you're like no it's a good guy who's willing to put his life on the line to save your life no matter what it takes so sometimes it, it ain't like you see on the movies kids mm -hmm. but uh but yeah no so i was on this amazing uh had this opportunity to do this tour it took about nine months to put together uh we raised uh, millions and millions of dollars to take this well not millions and millions but i mean it took several millions of dollars to actually get this whole thing started pay everybody rent the jet you know get overseas and the one reason i talked about the weird thing on uh, swine flu was i had to get a yellow fever inoculation um i'd never even heard of such a thing I had to get a yellow fever inoculation simply because of if I went from one country to another country, they required a yellow fever inoculation with it as part of your passport, you know, to even get in. So it's kind of like harkens, you know, to what's going on nowadays. There's, yeah. you know, that kind of idea has been around for a long time. So we booked the tour. We did a lot of great pre-press and radio and uh, we landed in Asuncion, Paraguay. And the, uh, the thing was, we would put on a two and a half hour, three hour show. All of a sudden, I look over. There is Sebastian Bach from uh, Skid Row. He joined us to sing. Uh, the uh, so we just had some great times, and I we get to the hotel, and I run into a guy named Abe Laboreal Jr. And he's an amazing drummer. Look him up. Abe Laboreal. His father was an amazing drummer. And um, I see a couple guys I recognize. I said, hey, what, what are you doing in Asuncion, Paraguay? <laughs> and he goes, well, I'm, I'm playing with Paul tonight. And I said, oh, yeah. And, you know, there he is. Oh, hi, Paul McCartney. How are you doing? <laughs> nice. Oh, very good. And we had literally probably uh, 400 military at one point around this place, uh, that there was the security detail was unbelievable. We were in a four or five story hotel. It was the tallest building in all of Paris and uh, for sure. Um, they, uh, they had a, a, a kind of a jungle language that they spoke there called Guaranin. And uh, that's also the name of their currency, I believe. But I just thought it was so amazing for all those kids and all those adults to stand out in front of that place. And in one night, they saw the Beatles, Kiss, Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard, Deep Purple. You know what I'm saying? They, got, they saw all of this like one night. And all those guys I was with, I mean, not not all of them all the time. And, and Gene was kind of the most reserved because he was by far the most pursued by fans. But, but Duff McKagan would go over there and 
and sit there and talk to fans until they were done talking. He would sign guitars. He thought they were great. You know, I mean, Steve Stevens is one of the most beautiful souls I've ever met on the planet. His wife, Josie, is amazing. You know, so like these people were very giving. So, but can you tell me once in your life where you've ever heard the big, you know, tour in Asuncion on Paraguay? This is probably the first time any of these kids and people had ever even seen anything like this kind of tour. I talked yeah. to kids on the ground and, and that and parents on the ground. A lot of parents were bringing their young children to these shows, you know. And in some conversations I had with Gene Simmons, which is just so cool to be able to say, you know, that you know, flying around on a jet with Gene Simmons, we talked about and. Uh, but he was very, very touched at uh, the number of uh, parents, and then they would bring their children to the show. And so they're introducing a whole new generation, which is now technically a third generation of Kiss fan, you know, being introduced here, or fourth generation. Uh, I know, uh, sorry, Gene, if I got that wrong. But, uh, but, but you know, it, and it was really amazing to see uh, that, how this music was multi-generational and especially in South America, it was almost religious because the first show in Asuncion, you know how people will sing along to lyrics of, of every concert. They sang along to the guitar riffs and they sang along to the guitar solos. So like when we played sweet child of mine, the whole crowd was going, ah, they were in mm-hmm. unison singing. Like I get chills just talking about this it was amazing to look out on 15,000 people standing in front of you that what yesterday, I think we played on a polo field. <laughs> we were on a polo field. They had a polo field there. Uh, and the, there's these crazy old concrete stands that looked like they'd been there for a hundred years, you know, and it was just insanity, but it was beautiful. Just amazing. And we had a great show that night. And we uh, jumped on a plane and and went to uh, Argentina and went to Buenos Aires. And we went to this hotel and um, it was just, it had a 20 foot wall around it. Like I didn't understand it. You know, I mean, I learned a lot about um, South America there that it's, it's different than America. Uh, Each country is its own country. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, is it ever. And they don't necessarily want to be friends. (laughs) And their soccer teams are definitely not friends. But everyone was so passionate about the music. And they all, a lot of them had the same stories was, it took me three months to save up just to come see this concert. And we're we're like, and they were serious. Like these weren't people trying to get backstage with the sob story. This was story after story. And so... What I came to realize was South America was run a little bit different, especially from this side of the business. Uh, each one of the promoters down there, they were hustling, baby. They were all independent promoters. There was no Live Nation or AEG down there. They, they, they were trying to get in, and they would get in, but most of the countries had their own ma and pa, if you will, promoters, you know? And so those guys are hustling. But what it also tells you is they have got a lot of personal money on the line and they have personal interests that their, their entire year is probably this concert. Uh, they may, you know, and I found out Ecuador and other countries, they have laws on the books that if you sell a good or a service to a fellow Ecuadorian, uh, and you don't deliver on that good or service. Let's say you book a concert and that concert gets canceled and you have taken money for that. You have to return all that money. If not, you face going to jail until you pay back every penny of that money. Now you don't hear about that going on in America. You know, they cancel concerts like that willy nilly. They run entire households lives, you know, but not over there. They hold every person accountable for every single penny Mm -hmm. right there. As long as, you know, they don't have corporate whatever's, but so there's, it's not all shady business down there. It's a lot of very personal business. And uh, so they don't let a lot of stuff slide. (laughs) (laughs) And so I will say that by the time we got to Lima, Peru, and uh, man, I got one of my, my greatest buddies. I know you're not listening to this, but Alberto, Alberto Casaramanacho. Hola. Mi hermano, but he Alberto is uh, was the promoter in Lima, 
and uh, he had some great sponsors. He kind of showed me around, and uh, he was just a wonderful guy. And uh, we had an assassination attempt on our <laughs> on, who? Uh, on well, at first it was a guy that was involved with the booking and the promotion of our actual tour who had a dispute with several other promoters in South America as to how he had sold maybe this tour to them. They possibly hadn't fulfilled their obligations to the tour uh, ahead of time. And their shows had gotten canceled and their deposits had gotten retained and kept as part of the legal agreement they had signed. Mm -hmm. And so some of those people... When you're talking about mm, four hundred thousand dollars, you know they're gonna, you know, they they're gonna let that go, and some people show up with knives and try to stab y'all in the uh, lobby of the hotel when you arrive. And Is that what happened? That's what happened. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so I had those two ex Navy SEALs with us, and I don't say ex because they are Navy SEALs forever. So I right, but they're they not act- serving anymore. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I just want to make it clear that we didn't have U.S. military <laughs> with us. But they're those those two SEALs. One of the key things here is they were part of different SEAL teams that worked with the White House um, and whatever administration they were under at the time to do different uh, missions, uh, you know, training missions and and things like that with other countries. So they had trained every single security person that we had in Peru and Argentina and Paraguay. They were very large security details. 30 and 40 people security details that we hired and we paid for, you know, or, or the, the concert paid for, uh, to watch us. I mean, this was huge. We had 11 van, 11 to 16 vans just to move us from place to place. We had no less than 11 sprinter vans just to move our party. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a small military operation. Every time we moved just, just to get all the vans to all leave the concert venue and arrive at the hotel at the same time. You can't, you can't lose a van of rock stars in South America, okay? No, but what you're describing to me, have you seen Jack Ryan, the series on Amazon? No. Uh-uh, this no. is right out of Jack, season two oh. of Jack Ryan. Oh. They're in South America. It's all the same shit. It's exactly yeah, well, like this. Traveling well, it, in a convoy, traveling as a convoy yes. down the... Yeah, there was no exactly. military escort yeah. either, okay? Yeah, no. Because that okay. would draw attention. Yeah. And I mean, as if we didn't draw enough attention. <laughs> but uh, so those SEALs had trained... Uh, And I'll just say, hey, Tim, hey, Rob, hey, Sarge, I love you and I miss you. Is that the Sarge? Is that where the Sarge comes from? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. All right. In in fact, he is the exact opposite of a female St. Bernard. (laughs) He's a bulldog, man. He's a mother scratching bulldog. But but anyway, they had trained all these different security guys. uh, And so these... And these were also the only people down there around us that were allowed to carry guns. You know, we certainly weren't allowed to carry guns or anything. So you should have seen some of the things in our pockets. Uh, I mean, ooh, scary stuff like needles on needles on rings. And I mean, like weird, crazy things. I, I was I was scared to death. I'm going to be honest with you. About half the time I was petrified while I was down there. I had never experienced anything like this. And so when they had... Uh, these other security detail, they, they would usually be on the ground a week ahead of us arriving. You know, when we landed, when we were handed an envelope at the airport that had all of our key cards for our hotel, we were all pre-checked in, all the rooms had been checked, everything had been checked. You know, you leave your luggage your luggage goes in one, another van, not with you. And the luggage gets delivered to your rooms and stuff for you. There is no, everyone pulling their luggage and checking it. That does not happen. Uh, you know, so we go where the, the deal is we go right to the hotel. You go right to your room. 
you know, everyone's safe, everyone's accounted for, your luggage is there, bing, bang, boom. And then they control the movements, you know, it's just, it's pretty serious. And, you know, there's a lot of what they call high value targets in that, uh, that type of tour. I mean, Gene Simmons alone is, you know, his net worth is astronomical. And, um, and so this, the fame, and then keep in mind, everybody had their wives, their girlfriends with them, you know, they're not gonna, they don't want them hurt. And we had a film crew with us. We had a film crew. Hello. But um, so anyway, we found out that there was a problem in the tour and that it was coming from within the tour. And we had to get that person um, disassociated with the tour (laughs) immediately. And that happened. And uh, so there was a person that that left the tour immediately and left the country immediately. And that was the target of the original assassination attempt. And then there was a Rolling Stone article <laughs> written uh, about this. And I found out by reading that article, I didn't even know this, that during that time, there was a negotiation being made that in Argentina, not even Peru, but in Argentina, there was a negotiation being made with, I just, you know, blanket cartel, okay, let's just say cartel down there that was planning to bum rush our hotel, kill several of us, and kidnap the others and get that money back. (laughs) And uh, I was unaware of this, completely unaware of this. And so I was almost murdered the first time in Argentina by someone threatening me that may or may not have been associated with the tour who may or may not have had an armed guard right there with them with the newsie under his shirt that was uh, Russian and absolutely going to shoot me. And, uh, and then we get to Peru and that person's off that tour and people are still coming looking for their money for the, for the shows that got canceled. And guess who's number two on the tour? Guess who did all the visa clearances and who's six foot four <laughs> and stands out <laughs> like a sore thumb? Me. So there was a murder attempt on my life. And okay. then and then I was uh I was uh sent to my room. I mean I couldn't come out of my room. I we had an armed guard on the floor. Uh, there was, uh, I couldn't leave my room without a, a, a seal. I had to have a Navy seal. One of the two guys, uh, escort me out of my room. And so the only time I was allowed to leave from that point was to go from my suite, <laughs> which thank God I had a suite. And I ordered all the expensive food I could. <laughs> It's like I ordered lobster, thermidor, duck, larange, both, you know, like uh, which one's the appetizer, you know, it's like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die happy. And, uh, but literally like they would take me down a different elevator shaft. We'd, I'd meet up with the tour in the basement where the parking lot was. We'd go right. And and then, you know, we'd go to the concert venue and most of that was kind of locked down in a lot of ways, but yeah, it was very scary, you know, and we're only spending just a few days in each one of these countries. So you literally have no time to get your bearings or anything. So I was a hundred percent. My life was 100% in the hands of those two seals and some really great tour managers as well. Like Gooch was out there with us. I mean, dude, that son of a bitch was his real deal. He's get, he was smashing pumpkins tour manager. He was uh, tour manager for Kiss, active, you know. I mean, these were some OGs. And I think if we didn't have that many OGs involved, I would have been, <laughs> never, I, I wouldn't have come back. I want to know in detail, how did they make the attempt on your life? Oh, it was going to stab me in the chest with a giant Bowie knife. Just walking by you in the hotel lobby or whatever? Uh, yeah, uh-huh. right oh. up to you. Yeah. Wow. They wanted to kill you in front of everybody. The, okay. And they wanted everybody to see it. The guy screamed ahead of time. He he, it wasn't a well, sneak. That's a dumb move. What are you doing, man? You can't. Yeah. You can't yeah, announce they're... your. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's an honor thing or something. But it's like you announce your presence to everybody. And oh, the shit broke loose, man. <laughs> oh, I mean, man. We, well, because what what we realized was that there were um, additional what they considered assassins that were already registered and guests of the hotel. Oh. So, so we couldn't lock down. We did lock down. The hotel got locked down. Trust me. The right. head of the security of the hotel was standing right next to me in about two seconds. And, uh, and yeah, we, the hotel and I mean the, the regular patrons of the hotel would never have known 
you know, what was really going on. And they would have really not, other than there's a crazy amount of rock stars in the lobby. But, like, uh, they didn't know that we went on, you know, Code Yellow lockdown kind of, you know, that I just made Code Yellow up. But, you know, that there's a, a security problem like that. And uh, so it was, uh, yeah, it, it was just strange. So we didn't really know. <laughs> like I said, I, I learned a lot about what was really going on afterward. If I had have known what was going on, oh my gosh, I would have gotten my ass out of that country. I would have used my credit card and maxed it out to get the very next flight out of that country. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not in for <laughs> kidnapping and all that kind of stuff. And then when I got back to America, I had um, a couple brushes with some very potential deadly situations because, you know, I mean, people know how to get on airplanes and fly to other countries. That's and right. so... So that was honestly the end of my uh, idea of being in the music business <laughs> at that level. I had yeah. I had done a lot of things. I'd worked with like Erica Badu and got, you know with Erica Badu I'd worked with Prince and Prince twice, uh, Snoop Dogg, Dave Chappelle on multiple occasions. Uh, you know got to be friends with Questlove, worked with you know, other guys like Doyle Bram Hall II and Derek Trucks are just amazing. And then you know and all these uh, incredible guys uh, you know with that were involved with. Uh, Kings of Chaos. That's the name of the band, by the way. I should name the band. It's called Kings of Ch Chaos. But back on that tour, it was called the Rock and Roll All Stars, and mm. uh, and the name got changed from the band Rock and Roll All Stars after that tour because the name was tainted. Mm -hmm. And um, so, really, that that tour got cut short. And I will say, in closing on this, that every single guy I named on that tour cared more about the fans coming to those shows than their own pocketbooks in, in a lot of ways. They really, really did. And they were making promises to other promoters like, hey, we'll come back. We will come back and try to make up these shows that got canceled and stuff. So the tour kind of ended on a bad note. And, uh, you know, I mean, a couple of murder attempts that will end the tour quick, I think, right? Yeah, no but, kidding. Uh, well, honestly, it wouldn't have ended the tour. Trust me, most of these guys, they were like, yeah, okay, well, you know, been there. Well, it was an attempt know. on their lives. I mean, what are they going to do, right? They it weren't the really ones. I mean, I think yeah. they'd been there, done that, you know? I, mean, I guess, really, yeah. Yeah, yeah so they probably like, seen it all. I mean, Gene Simmons himself actually helped negotiate with one of the promoters who had gotten um, his show canceled. He, he negotiated to try to help that guy. I mean, Gene stepped right in as a, as a business guy to try to help. And so it was, uh, quite an eye opening experience for me because I grew up listening to that music. I, I have my own fantasies about that world of rock and roll. I mean, I'd seen, I've been involved with a lot of live shows, but not an international rock star concert tour in a private jet. I mean, you know, and I'm talking about a big jet with, all those bands, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's, 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 that's movie stuff, you know, yeah, that's, you that's know, that time. doesn't happen twice in your lifetime for sure. And, uh, so I learned so much. I was so green. <laughs> I was so green and such a baby, uh, in a lot of ways. And, uh, boy, oh boy, that was another one of those things that showed me how much growing up, if you will, I had to do, how many sad lessons I had to learn about the world and evil people and greed. And, um, and then for a little while, it, all, it ruined me on music, you know, a little bit. I, yeah, it, almost, I it took away some of the way I appreciated music even. And so, yeah, yeah it was, uh, I don't recommend that uh, anybody go through what I did. I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, I would, you know, I mean, I'd do it again because I didn't die <laughs> and I don't have any scars that are visible, you know, from it. And uh, so it, you know, it, but it is one of those things I, I would have tried to do it a little bit differently. <laughs> sure. But yeah, that's a story wow. time with Smitty right there. That went from right up there to cool to, Oh, that's dark. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Thank you How for you telling like me that. that. Story, that's crazy. Dan. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, story time with Smitty. We'll do another one one day when you <laughs> when you guys want to hear another crazy story. Speaking of
speaking of Mona Lisa's, I'm don't, I don't know if I'm, this is a good segue. I can just cut around it. Um, <laughs> speaking of Mona Lisa's, spe- how about Mother <laughs> Russia Bleeds? You guys are uh, releasing another game, special <laughs> reserve games. <laughs> right, I'm that is, speaking of that the, the again, man. That, that is like right. a that's very too, different, yeah. Too good well, not can, to be able to do that. That said, has to be in said, there. <laughs> these games developed, these are the Mona Lisa's for these developers. This is their passion. This is their creation. And it certainly sounds like Mother Russia Bleeds. <laughs> certainly sounds just based on what you guys have said about this game in the past uh it sounds like this is another case of like a just a, a love a labor of love um and this this game that you guys are releasing now on uh is it for uh ps4 and switch or just switch we know yet both. oh both that's awesome yeah, yeah that's a beautiful PS4. thing yeah both and that's and that uh it was originally just going to be for switch just simply because we didn't know if there were maybe would be an appetite for this game in physical you always kind of have to you know it's it's just because it's a great game doesn't all in it translated well digitally does not mean it's going to be a superstar seller physically it just may not have an appeal uh to certain collectors for whatever reason and sometimes it's just timing too right you know so the the developers behind mother russia bleeds great group uh named la cartel and la cartel is based in the country of france and they are not russian (laughs) 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 and uh so this is very much uh you know a game they created they most recently uh also through devolver digital had uh, put out heave ho which was what we would consider the complete and polar opposite of mother yeah. russia bleeds <laughs> it's not even yeah. it's, it's like no, I, two different I mean, worlds <laughs> yeah it's like one's a monopoly and the other one is a motorcycle you know what i'm saying yeah. it's like not even the same right and uh, so mother russia bleeds has been one of those games that ever since special reserve games came uh to be uh you know just we're talking that we're in just now in our fourth year i mean we're not even four years old um that it, that bro force you know enter the gungeon some of those were the oh when are you gonna do that when are you gonna do that so mother russia bleeds i was actually introduced to mother russia bleeds that way i i, I didn't really know about it when it came out more i was introduced to it by fans uh and so how cool is that right that's half the point of some of what we do by the way and why i always love the idea of developers and their Mona Lisa's, you know, uh, helping expose consumers and fans to other developers and their Mona Lisa's, you know, just kind of like what we were talking about earlier, going into the the old uh, store where the guy selling you the software would give you a recommendation. You know, that's kind of what this kind of is in a way. It still has that, that brotherhood and that sisterhood, uh, if you will. But anyway... Where were we? <laughs> Mother Russia Bleeds. <laughs> Mother Russia Bleeds was, uh, it, it's one of those games that it's uh, ultraviolet. <laughs> that may pix- be one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, pixel art. It is fun, fun, fun. Oh, it and checks all the boxes, man. Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's it's, a beat-em-up game, much in the style of uh, of Double Dragon or Streets of Rage. Yeah. Um, but but much gorier than those games could be, right? Those games mm. could not have a lot of blood or 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 anything like that because they're you know had to be sold to kids. The, this one is not for kids; it's for <laughs> adults. Yeah. yeah, I'm watching. Yeah. I'm watching some gameplay footage of it right now. Well, and the, there's even though it's like like choking a guy out here. What's going on? Oh with yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But but there's characters. There's real actual. You know, there's dis- discernible good guys, bad guys. There's some really great characters in there too that I think are a little iconic here. You know, and uh, they're easy to identify with also. So it's not a fantasy game. It's very much steeped in reality in in many ways. And then. I guess we'll call it fantasy violence. If you want a good, if you want a good laugh, just go read the ESRB uh, descriptors for that that go along with the mature rating for it, and it takes up the entire <laughs> takes up the entire space. Uh, I will I get them off and read them later. It's almost like <laughs> that should be the marketing ad for the game. One of it is just the mature rating. <laughs> We've talked about how difficult it can be to write stuff for ESRB ratings to pass those and, and get those done. This one, although violent, it's very straightforward what's happening. So it was probably really easy to write that particular description down. Thought, yeah, this guy's grabbing them and choking them out. And, you know, yeah, yeah we're going to get that M rating. <laughs> yep. Oh, my God. But what's will... going on in the background here, though? Holy crap. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> there's, there's, there, I mean, this, I'm going to say this, this ain't for little kids. No. Uh, that mature rating, I mean, if you, if you, uh, they earned that. At, yeah, they earned it. So, I mean, if you, there is content in there that is certainly not meant for a young child, uh, at, at all, really. I mean, I'm, I'm an old man saying that, but you know, come on, man, you don't need to see everything until maybe at least 13, right? <laughs> exactly. 13. I mean, maybe exactly. 12, but, um, so mother Russia bleeds is, uh, something that we've been able to work uh, directly with luck cartel, of course, uh, that we're so lucky to be able to work directly with each developer, we've gotten some great key art. We've gotten sprites for every single character. We're going to be able to put out some, uh, looking at doing some lenticular stuff. I don't know if it's actually going to work out or not, but, I'm trying to do some lenticular uh, cards and lenticular stickers that because since we have the sprites for every single character, then that will lead to an, a really, uh, you know, a crisp and clear step and lenticular to one, two, three, four frame, you know, so I can have three movements and it's going to look pretty crisp with my friend Pedro. When we did lenticular cards, that thing it's such a fast moving, you know, beautiful kind of game mixed in. It, it didn't lend itself too well to chopping out frames out of a, you know, 50 frames that I had, you know, in a second to, to look at, to, to take six you know, frames. And that's what makes a lenticular card. So anyway, not to go down the lenticular highway here, but uh, there's a lot of cool things that we'll be able to do with Mother Russia Bleeds from a physical uh, presentation through the reserves and some of the accessories that go along with it that you know totally accentuate some of the what i consider cutest coolest funnest things about this ultra violent crazy game you know these the character movements and the design that was intended from the developers so um a lot of that's going to be translated into the cover art the jacket art as well uh we're going to have multiple jacket uh art and cover art versions that may or may not ship with it. Uh, you know, we're, uh, there's a lot of cool things. I, ha I haven't said it's not settled science, so I don't want to really talk about it and get recorded saying because <laughs> I'm going to change my mind on this tomorrow. But uh, it's coming out June 23rd. We're going to have a set number of units uh, for both Switch and PS4. And our partners at Limited Run Games are also going to get an alternate cover variant from us uh, that will be like the Switch single uh, uh, we did w with uh, Hotline Miami, same kind of idea, where they have the single, we have the reserve, if you will, and uh, so we get more of the the box and the uh, maybe the uh, additional accessories uh, through the special reserve reserve. But uh, June twenty third is when that sale is going to go live on specialreservegames.com. You know, of course, all our sales go live at uh, high noon Texas time. That's 12 p.m. Central, negative uh, five GMT. It's a great game. So we've been able to work on this for a little bit and honor it the way that we should with the uh, great packaging, the sequential numbering, the amazing reserve box, some great art accessories around it. And, uh, uh, you know, just a, an honor again to La Cartel for trusting us to take their amazing uh, Mother Russia Bleeds a Mona Lisa and make it uh, physical forever and ever and ever. I'd like to remind everybody that uh, if you follow us on Twitter, so twitter.com slash special reserves, you will be able to catch further news on this as we release further details. And then, uh, of course, the best way, come join our Discord server. So discord.gg slash special reserve games. And you'll be able to be one of the first people to hear and, all the juicy details that Smitty wants to share. And if you're old school, you can sign up for our newsletter That's on our right. website. We have a newsletter sign up right on our specialreservegames.com. Shout website. out to J Ball. Yeah, J Ball does a lot of great writing for us. Shout out to Amanda as well. And on the Twitter Eric. and, and Instagram. Yeah. Right, and Graham and the Graham Graham. We call it the Facebook, Graham. facey space. And, yeah, and then you'll always see Eric uh, in Discord. You'll also see me. I'm under Ask Smitty uh, in Discord. And in fact, most of the crew from uh, Special Reserve is in that Discord channel because uh, let me just say how much I love Discord and whoever the people are that made Discord and run Discord. Thank you very much. I want to tell you, I run my entire company through Discord. Like, we, we 
do share screens. We do collaborative uh, design. We're on Discord right now. Yeah, recording. Uh, and then we can take all of that. What the magic, magic from it of this for me is we can be in the middle of a creative idea. Eric and I can be talking about uh, something, a contest, anything we want to do. We can, in real time, go over and touch our people, especially the dog fathers, which is the elite group in our Discord that help boost servers and they participate at a high level. These are super amazing people and really a lot of fun to talk to, by the way. You know, so jump in there just for that. But, uh, you know, it's a... I, it, the technology to be able to go and talk to our fans or somebody else and just take their temperature, do a poll, ask a question, and then go right back into the creative meeting, never leave the creative meeting at all. There's a lot of uh, abilities to connect with other people to uh, use entertainment as a way, you know, to bring people together. But it also helps me a lot in designing products and designing things and then being able to speak to people one on one about them. And then it doesn't feel like we're running a bunch of marketing ads and running a buy this, buy yeah, this. It's not artificial. You know? No, we're, we're not being genuine. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're like they're in the mix. They're kind of a part of the product design. Absolutely, they are. A lot of the Absolutely. people in the, in the Discord see, you see it, Eric, all the time. Like uh, I upload pictures from the printer or when I get a print press back or when I get a press test or I'll ask, hey, do you guys like resin figurines? You know, so all that stuff comes into play all through Discord. So anyway, big shout out to Discord. Hopefully that was a five minute ad for you. It looks like we're out of time. I've talked a lot. You've listened a lot. Thank you, Dan, for always helping with the great production and being a great voice on the show. Thanks to Eric, Collector's Corner, and everything he does. And my story time with Smitty. You actually made it through. So we'll do it again, but right now it's officially game over. Game over.